Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash CGZ. This activity is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. Bayer has had no involvement in the selection of the speakers, the development of the activity, the agenda, or the materials. Welcome to this peer voice activity on the management of advanced hepatocellular carcinoma. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Bruno Sangro, Professor Chris Versleep, and Dr. Richard Finn. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Bruno Sangro. I am director of the liver unit at Clinica Universidad Navarra in Pamplona, Spain. Welcome to this activity on the management of patients with hepatocellular carcinoma. I'm very pleased to have my colleagues, uh, Professor Chris Versleep from University Hospitals Leuven in Leuven, Belgium, and Dr. Richard Finn from the University of California in Los Angeles in the US, joining me today. In this first part, we will discuss some of the challenges we come across when treating patients with advanced hepatocellular carcinoma, and specifically, in relation to decisions about treatment uh, sequencing. Uh, hepatocellular carcinoma is uh, a, a main um, health issue worldwide. More than 900,000 patients are diagnosed each year, and only uh, a slightly lower number die from the disease, uh, uh, highlighting the uh, high mortality of this uh, tumor type. And what is even more important is that uh, if we don't change things in terms of prevention or early detection, uh, these figures will almost or even more double within the next uh, 20 uh, years. Fortunately, things have changed in terms of um, treatment for patients with the advanced stage HCC. Uh, 15 years ago, serafinib was introduced as the uh, first option to, to prolong survival of patients in this stage. It took uh, almost a decade to uh, have a number of drugs that were approved because they proved significant benefit in the second line post serafinib that includes uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors of different uh, names, but also immune checkpoint inhibitors. And only within the last five years, we have uh, seen uh, or one TKI proven to be non-inferior to serafinib. This is lenvatinib and two combination immunotherapies uh, uh, proven superior to serapinib in the first-line setting, atezolizumab plus bevacizumab and uvalumab plus similimumab very recently. So all in all, we now have uh, a, a variety of options for first-line and second-line uh, treatment of advanced stage ACC. So please, Richard, could you please summarize for us what are the first-line options for ACC and uh, when to use which? Yeah, so a very exciting time in liver cancer. Uh, and when we think about systemic treatment, we're thinking about patients who are Barcelona C, who have extrahepatic spread or vascular invasion, or Barcelona B, who have progressed on TACE or are not good candidates for TACE because they're tumor burden. Patients who are candidates for systemic treatment tend to be child PUA and well compensated. And in frontline, really, the IO combinations of atezo, lizumab, and bevacizumab, and now dervalumab and tremulumab, have both been shown to be superior in terms of overall survival compared to serafinib. 
and by non-inferiority, we would say also lenvantinib. So at a certain time point, uh, one has to consider the subtherapy, and this is a very obvious decision in the face of clinical uh, evident progression, deterioration in, in performance status and, and radiological uh, overt progression. But uh, uh, there are other situations where the decisions are more difficult. And I would like to ask you, uh, how do you use AFP changes to manage uh, uh, these patients, to, to inform decisions? Chris, uh, what is your opinion about the use of AFP? I, we have the habit of using AFP only at the time of a formal evaluation. So we will refrain from testing AFP um, just after one cycle. Really, we will discuss on the progression or, or decide on, on the images and together with the AFP. So it is mainly the imaging and of course the clinical situation of the patient and the liver function that, that we all take into account to decide what to do uh, uh, following, for example, three cycles. And that's the minimum, I think, that we use before we embark on an evaluation of the patient. And Richard, uh, for these patients that achieve uh, a deep response, even a complete response, uh, and, and then uh, they, they are stable on that situation, you think there is a num certain number of cycles that uh, uh, you could live with and then uh, interrupt treatment or not? All of us have patients who have done exceedingly well, uh, even dating back to the single agent nivolumab and pembrolizumab days, and now just more of those patients with the uh, immunotherapy doublets. If I think a patient is tolerating things and they are not having a significant toxicity, I continue uh, until overt progression. Certainly, if patients need a break, you could consider that. If patients do have some dose-limiting toxicity or cumulative toxicity, I should say, uh, then maybe considering uh, uh, stopping at that point. When it comes to uh, then switching because of progression or intolerance to a second-line uh, therapy, uh, the, both European and American uh, societies have provided some guidance in, in this regard. So, Chris, could you please comment on the uh, ESMO guidelines and, and, and other European guidelines regarding second-line therapy of HCC? Uh, thank you, Bruno. When the patient is given sorafenib in first line, then we have, a, we have a few good options, and especially rigorafenib, followed by Cabo and Ramacirumab uh, are suggested. This is all solid uh, 1A evidence, randomized controlled trials. But I have to say that uh, the ESMO guidelines, they provide a bit more guidance. Um, they also allude to the clinical, the magnitude of clinical benefit scale. When it is four or five, it's really suggested to have major clinical benefit. So following sorafenib, uh, Rigo there comes first, Ramacirumab only if the alpha fetoprotein is exceeding uh, 400. What is more uh, uh, challenging, and this is the reality right now, when you have made a choice like uh, atizolizumab, bevacizumab, and even more challenging, durvalumab, trimalumab, what will you do then? What is the appropriate sequence? And all the guidelines, they agree that we should base our choice on uh, clinical judgment, uh, toxicity uh, profile, the patient profile, uh, also local regulations and TKIs come there. And most of the guidelines, uh, as a general conclusion, they put all the TKIs at the same level. And how about the American guidelines? Uh, do they have any significant differences in terms of uh, uh, recommendations? Well, not necessarily. Uh, I think the uh, 
the American guidelines really reflect the idea that we're trying to maximize uh, the drugs that we know are active. The rapid approvals in liver cancer have left significant knowledge gaps. Every drug approved in second line has only been studied really after prior serafinib, the, the exception being CABO, which had 25% of patients who had drugs other than serafinib, actually a third line population. So now that IO has moved to front line, uh, we either throw out all that data that was generated before, or we learn to incorporate it. And I think that's really what the guidelines are trying to do, that as patients have disease progression, that we keep in mind that there are several drugs that have been proven to be uh, anti-cancer drugs, and that we should essentially sequence these TKIs. And we can't say there's any specific order. Personally, I do them in the way they've been studied, frontline TKIs, second-line TKIs beyond, and ramucirumab as well as an option. Uh, so, you know, that is really the consideration after frontline I.O. If patients do get a TKI in the frontline setting, in the United States, we do have the option to offer them I.O. in the second line or beyond, uh, both ipilimumab and nivolumab, that combination, as well as single-agent pembrolizumab, uh, is still approved in second-line setting. But obviously, we would not be using those necessarily if a patient had I.O. in the front line. Uh, but needless to say, really, it's to cycle uh, the drugs we know that are active uh, as long as patients are candidates for ongoing systemic treatment. But having so many uh, different options is, of course, a good thing, much better than what we had 10 years ago. But Chris, at the end of the day, you have to make a single decision for an individual patient. What would you say are the main factors that will drive your decision on how, what, what drug to choose in the second line setting? Yeah, what's, what's, what's really important is, uh, is the, still the liver function of the patient, uh, uh, general con condition, the, whether the patient recovered from some toxicities from the first line treatment. It should really be individualized. It, it's, uh, it's clinical uh, judgment and that's uh, it's very important. It is always very important. And Rich, uh, in this setting, uh, what do you think is the value of real-world studies that we are starting to see published? Yeah, so, you know, real-world evidence does not replace prospective randomized phase three data, but it does provide us an insight to what happens in a population of patients who don't meet clinical trial criteria. And also it can reflect how new drugs that have been introduced in the liver cancer space may affect their use in clinical practice. And for example, the REFINE study was a large real-world evidence uh, study that was launched after the approval of regorafenib. And we've learned that in this real-world evidence, for one, rego appears to perform as it did in the uh, phase three resource study. Uh, in addition, we see that when rego is used after drugs other than serafinib, it tends to be as well tolerated with the same similar adverse event profile and with similar disease control, uh, as we saw for patients who strictly get it after serafinib. And in addition, there's even a third, third, uh, third line cohort and even a cohort that got prior immunotherapy. And certainly the activity is greater when used in earlier line, but it still looks like it remains an option for patients even beyond that second line. 
So uh, I think uh, we can agree, and this has been a nice discussion, that uh, uh, guidelines provide recommendations on treatment options in the second line, but uh, the uh, decisive factors regarding when to stop first line and start second line treatment in CCR are not very clearly defined. They have to be individualized case by case. Multiple factors have to be taken into account when choosing the second line regimen. That includes, of course, imaging, but tolerability the, the, the um, uh, side effects that an pa individual patient has experienced is probably going to drive the decisions. And certainly, real-world data will help us in this regard because they can provide valuable information about, in real practice, how safe uh, and effective treatment uh, are in, beyond the, the uh, clinical trials. And with this, thank you for watching. Please join us at the, uh, the next section where we will discuss how to decide on treatment options of, for hepatic cellular carcinoma in the second-line setting using, as example, patient cases. Hello, this is Bruno Sangro. I'm a director of the liver unit at Clinica Universidad de Navarra in Pamplona, Spain. Welcome to this activity on the management of hepatic cellular carcinoma. I am very pleased to have my colleagues, Professor Chris Versleep from University Hospitals in Leuven, in Leuven, Belgium, and Dr. Richard Finn from the University of California, Los Angeles in the US, joining me today. In this second part, we will discuss different treatment options for patients with hepatocellular carcinoma in the second line setting. And I would like to start by showing you a real case. Roger is a 74-year-old patient that had cirrhosis due to chronic hepatitis C infection, long-standing, and also had a diagnosis of diabetes. And at the age of 72, two years ago, he was diagnosed with unresectable AHC. At that time, he had a slightly altered performance status, but liver function was okay and there was no liver decompensation, child score A, I'll be grade one. And in terms of tumor burden, he had a single tumor with a, a, a size of eight centimeters in diameter that invaded the right hepatic vein and had satellites all around the main lesion. At that time, he was treated with uh, atezolizumab and bevacizumab for 10 months. And after that time, uh, he experienced progression in the form of newly developed uh, lung metastases. The patient had experienced a, a, a minor response that was stable over time, and there were multiple metastases. And really, tolerability of atezolizumab and bevacizumab was pretty good with only mild hypertension due to bevacizumab and no immune-mediated okay. adverse events. So my question for Chris would be, and uh, we have to make uh, now a decision for the second-line treatment in this patient. How would you treat Roger? Well, uh, it, it all depends now on the clinical situation of the patient, of course. I, I suppose that he tolerated his therapy well, that he had no uh, severe side effects. You could continue for 10 months, which is already uh, a nice, uh, a nice thing to to hear. Yeah. Uh, my choice would then be to go for for sorafenib. Um, that would be my primary choice. Uh, I know from the real world studies that uh, immediately starting with Rego would be also an option to start at a lower dose and gradually increase. Uh, so I would be more at ease to work with sorafenib. Lenvetinib, on the other hand, would also be an, a nice choice, but you you will get a bit more hypertension. Any, any uh, different opinion, Richard? I think serafinib is a very reasonable choice. Personally, I would favor lenvantinib. Uh, 
you know, this patient is an otherwise good clinical condition, a good candidate for second line. And even though Lenvantin was non-inferior to serafinib uh, in the pivotal reflex study, we do know that it does have a higher objective response rate. It improves progression-free survival superiorly over serafinib and very provocative in the recent data presented at ESMO, the LEAP uh, 002 study, in the frontline setting, Lenvantinib in the modern age had a survival of 19 months, uh, which I think reflects that this drug probably is an important player in liver cancer. Is cabozantinib a drug that uh, uh, any of you would uh, also consider? Well, I would, I would consider it, but uh, unfortunately in Belgium it's not available anymore in this indication. Rich? Yeah, it's an option, but I don't think as the first option right after frontline IO. I would uh, use it after another VEGF inhibitor, and in this case, probably Lenvantinib. Okay, so let's move to the second case. And Chris, this is your case, so uh, I will invite you to present it. So this patient uh, is 66 years old. Um, he is diagnosed with an unresectable multifocal HCC uh, in the context of an alcoholic cirrhosis. His ECOG status is uh, quite acceptable, very good liver uh, function, CHALP-UA, but he has uh, portal hypertension and on endoscopy there were small esophageal varishes. This patient was treated with atezobef. Um, this treatment was well tolerated except for the appearance uh, of venous ulcers on the lower legs. Uh, and some edema also of the legs. Um, a first evaluation uh, after three cycle, cycles of therapy showed stable disease. Uh, and uh, you see the CT scan uh, on the slide uh, showing uh, extensive uh, malignant disease in the liver. Uh, what, we, what we did, we continued with the atezobef. Uh, and as you can appreciate on the slide, so these were quite prominent ulcers. And, uh, uh, but uh, we also did this uh, um, new imaging, of course, at uh, another three cycles. And we saw clear progression uh, with even um, expansion uh, through the liver capsule. So the next step, Richard, uh, uh, progressive patient now, uh, initial therapy with atezobef. What is your opinion now? What would you do? Yeah, this is a, a patient who is in trouble, to be honest, because we know that patients who uh, progress rather quickly on a Tezobev, uh, their prognosis is, is not the best. Uh, and, you know, what we have to offer these patients are all the drugs we've had in the past. Uh, and like this first case, I would probably uh, transition this patient to Lenvantinib. The one thing I will throw out there that we have access to here in the United States would be trying another immunotherapy combination. You know, there is some data that CTLA-4 and PD-1 inhibition might have activity after frontline IO. Ipinevo is approved as a second-line regimen, though after prior serafinib in the U.S., but could be considered uh, with the idea that we want to try to get a response in this patient. I would certainly do the same. The only thing I would uh, like to add is that um, uh, uh, 
these individual cases, you have to make uh, specific decisions. And in this case, with the venous ulcers, I would probably start titrating uh, the TKI, whether it's raffinob or lenvatinib, and start with a, with a lower dose, uh, with the intention to, to go to full dose in the absence of uh, deterioration in the ulcers. So we started the patient on lenvatinib uh, after a big discussion in the team. Um, and we saw remarkable healing of the ulcers on the legs after two weeks on lenvatinib. There was also uh, previously some edema also had this disappeared. And so patient uh, 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 was re-evaluated uh, after, uh, after uh, yeah, about seven weeks and uh, he was continued on lenvatinib. But then unfortunately, uh, a few months later, he was again further progressing uh, but the side effect was under control. So this patient is now progressing under uh, lenvatinib. Uh, Bruno, uh, what would be your next sequence? Yeah, I, I, you, you have not mentioned uh, um, alpha-fetoprotein to see if uh, a ramuzirumab is one of the options that we may use. But uh, in general, uh, I would say that I will favor uh, uh, another TKI and the question here is whether to go for rigorafenib or cabozantinib, uh, since both have shown activity uh, post rafenib and we should extrapolate that they may be active also post-limvatinib. And this is a difficult decision. The patient has tolerated well uh, limvatinib, so the chances that he may tolerate well uh, rigorafenib are there. And uh, particularly, I would probably favor cabozantinib, because of a slightly different uh, safety profile and, and, and higher activity. But uh, I think uh, in, in both of them could be good options. And, and of course, availability is what is driving uh, my decision in most of the cases because of reimbursement issues. This patient had a normal alpha fetoprotein, so this was not an option. Uh, Richard? Yeah, I don't think I differ in the discussion that uh, Bruno gave. I think uh, Rego or Cabo are acceptable here. Given the fact that we don't have Cabo uh, in Belgium available in this indication, uh, patient was started on, on Sorafenib. After uh, already uh, three months, uh, patient was again uh, progressing. Still, patient was in a good clinical condition and uh, liver function also uh, was maintained. Uh, no ascites appearing, so following sorafenib, um, I imagine that all the options have nearly been uh, used. No, I think I think I think uh, it's a good time to take to the front line one of Richard's comments uh, earlier uh, regarding the possibility of using uh, dual uh, immune checkpoint blockade with CTLA-4 plus PD-1. But of course, this is entirely dependent on availability. Uh, we started this patient on Rego, and uh, for us it was a bit unexpected to see that uh, this patient was in fact uh, more than uh, 14 months under Rego and uh, had really stabilization of disease. This uh, therapy was also very well uh, tolerated. Uh, so. We have nearly 14 months and then the patient deteriorated clinically also with progression and not fit to receive any therapy anymore. I think these two cases uh, summarize very well the fact that uh, fortunately 
we have a good number of options of uh, different agents that could be used for the treatment of advanced stage HCC, both in first line and even more importantly in second line, uh, uh, because patients will eventually uh, fail to first line therapies. These, these different options means that uh, pay, we have to make treatment decisions in the second line setting, and these decisions have to be multifactorial. And the factors that we have to consider include uh, tolerance to the treatment, the uh, profile and the intensity of the adverse events, patients' comorbidities, and of course, patients' preference. And we have to integrate certainly patients' preference in, into our clinical decision making. Uh, and with this, I would like to thank you for watching, and we hope that you have found this information useful. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.